This is I Choose Life, news and views sponsored by Indiana Right to Life and Right to Life of Northeast Indiana, committed to defending innocent human life for all people of all ages. I Choose Life, news and views is produced by Bot Radio Network in Fort Wayne, Indiana. On Thursday, February 25th, largely along party lines, the U.S. House of Representatives approved H.R. 5, named, or according to some, misnamed, the Equality Act. The stated purpose of the bill is to prevent discrimination based on sexual preference or gender confusion. Opponents to this legislation see the ways that it could place women in danger, as well as how it may actually promote discrimination against those who hold a traditional view of marriage, against those who adhere to the biological realities of gender, or against female athletes. There are additional concerns from the pro-life community, now reading excerpts from a National Right to Life press release. The Equality Act contains language that could be construed to create a right to demand abortion from health care providers and likely would place at risk the authority of the government to prohibit taxpayer-funded abortions. The Equality Act would amend the Civil Rights Act of 1964 by defining sex to include pregnancy, childbirth, or a related medical condition. It is well established that abortion is considered a related medical condition. H.R. 5 expands the anti-discrimination provisions in the bill by stating that, quote, pregnancy, childbirth, or a related medical condition shall not receive less favorable treatment than other physical conditions, end quote, and would add establishments that provide health care to the list of covered public accommodations. It is unpredictable whether this legislation will pass out of the Senate, but if it does, President Biden is expected to sign it. If you or someone you know is in a crisis pregnancy, help is just a phone call away. Call 877-791-5475. If you or someone you know is dealing with grief and pain after an abortion decision, whether you had an abortion, convinced someone else to have an abortion, or even participated in a procedure, call 877-791-5475. You'll be referred to a pregnancy resource center in your area, a place where free and confidential services are available. That's 877-791-5475. February is Black History Month. For more information on the impact of abortion among African Americans, look on the web at TooManyAborted.com. That's TooManyAborted.com. Hello, I'm Mike Spencer of Project Life Voice, and I'm filling in today for Abigail Lorenzen. Today on I Choose Life News and Views, I want to highlight the hopeful subject of youth leadership within the pro-life movement. If you're a regular listener, you know that Right to Life of Northeast Indiana takes seriously the biblical calling to mentor our youth to raise up a generation of young, compassionate, fearless, and intelligent ambassadors for the unborn and for their mothers. For nearly 15 years, Right to Life of Northeast Indiana has been hosting Life Defenders, a summer pro-life apologetics camp for high school and college-age students with the goal of equipping students to make the case for life confidently and winsomely and to respond to the tough challenges that our opponents often put to us. Together with Scott Klusendorf of Life Training Institute, and Seth Dreyer of Created Equal, I have the privilege of providing training at the camp each summer. 
We've watched over the past year as scores of young people throughout our nation have taken to the streets in protest, setting buildings on fire, flipping over police cars and attacking innocent people. Of course, those who do these things aren't really protesters, they're rioters. And thankfully, they certainly don't represent all young people. But there's no denying that many of our young people today are in a serious freefall morally and sadly, even within the church in many cases. Because it is so much easier to entertain our young people with synthetic thrills than it is to train them in godly, self-sacrificing character, many churches have thought and expected too little of them. In some cases, pastors and youth pastors have wrongly assumed that students cannot think wisely, care deeply, or act meaningfully about important issues like abortion. As a result, scores of young people have found the church irrelevant and uninspiring, and of course, others have become rebels without much of a cause, consigned to protest merely for the sake of protesting. But then there's the pro-life movement, hitting this challenge head-on and giving students a calling equal to their status as God's image bearers, and thousands are responding. In fact, many of them are leading within the pro-life movement. While abortion supporters enjoy the benefit of a pro-abortion media, the indoctrination of our universities, and the hypnotic influence of the entertainment industry, a growing number of young, impassioned, intelligent pro-lifers are swimming upstream in the culture of death. I have three of these impassioned, committed student leaders here in the studio with me today, and I'd like to introduce them now. With us, we have Violet Hubbard. Violet is 15 years old. She lives here in Fort Wayne. She's a sophomore in high school. She has attended Life Defenders for two years now, and she's signed up to participate in a justice ride with the pro-life organization Created Equal, which we'll talk about that briefly here in a few minutes. But I want to welcome you, Violet. Happy to be here. We also have Claire Meyer. Claire is 17 years old. She lives in Cherubusco, Indiana. She's a high school senior. She's attended four times. Uh, that is our Life Defenders Camp. And we only have three levels. We have a 101, a 201, and a 301 level. So she's, uh, I think if she comes back next year, we're going to put her in charge of actually teaching one of these courses. So she's becoming a real expert with that. She's attended three justice rides with Created Equal. And I want to welcome you today, Claire. It's so good to be here. Fantastic. And then Isaac Randall. Isaac is 17 years old. He is from Salina, Ohio. He's a high school student, uh, actually doing some college courses as well and working. He has attended three Life Defenders camps, and he's attended four Justice Rides. And he's also been a summer intern. This was just this past summer, wasn't it, Isaac? Yes. With Created Equal. And I want to welcome you today, Isaac. Thanks for being here. Yes, thank you. You know, guys, it's people in your age bracket who are making life-altering and even life-ending abortion decisions, and you really are on the front lines and in the trenches, so to speak. Uh, you've been able to take the training that we've provided for you at Life Defenders and put it to work in real-life conversations through the Justice Rides, and I want to say just a word or two about that for the sake of our listeners. The Justice Rides are organized by the pro-life organization out of Columbus, Ohio, called Created Equal. These are inspired by the Freedom Rides of the uh, Civil Rights Movement. And the Justice Rides provide students the opportunity to give voice to the voiceless. They, they load these students on buses and they travel to university campuses and public squares throughout the United States to create informed public dialogue regarding abortion. And so they will stand um, alongside large images of abortion's primary victims and kindly ask passersby, what do you think about abortion? And through this respectful, deliberate approach, they impact thousands of people as they advocate for the unborn and as they share the gospel of Christ with those who are trapped in the pain and guilt of previous abortions. I've had the privilege of participating in uh, these justice rides and have watched these young lions of the faith confidently and graciously defend the cause of the unborn, often, by the way, in, in the face of real hostility sometimes. And so it's really impressive to see them keep their cool and be gracious to their opponents. Well, Isaac, let's start with you. In a world where 
Many high school students are content to lay around playing computer games. You've really given yourself to the battle for life. And I want you to tell our listeners, how did that come about? What, how, did, how did you become so passionate about the abortion issue? It was actually a couple years back when I was able to hear you speak. And you showed the victim imagery video. And that really moved me to know that I, I couldn't sit on the sidelines any longer mm. and watch these babies being led to slaughter. Wow. Okay. And how old were you at that time? Uh, about 12. About 12. Okay. And so you've been through all three levels also of training at Life Defenders, the 101, 201, and 301 levels of training. And how has that impacted you? How has this changed your conversations with others about abortion? I can point to a clear involvement of the intellectual stimulus that we can get from these classes at Life Defenders. They do a great job of training you on what you need to say and the kinds of questions you can ask to help bring the other person to view abortion as wrong. Do you feel like you are more confident? Now, of course, you're a little bit of an expert in this because you've had a lot of on-the-street application or you know experience. Do you feel like you're more confident in that job now? Oh, most definitely. Yeah. Well, that's great. All right, Claire, in just a few words, tell us why you are pro-life. Well, I'm pro-life because it's wrong to kill an innocent human being, and that's what abortion does. But I have seen firsthand people change their minds about abortion. And that, for me, is so encouraging to see that I can make a difference. And that's why I continue to do it. Well, that's interesting because a lot of our critics, and sadly, even within the church in many cases, will say that it's a waste of time to talk about abortion, that people never change their mind. But that hasn't been your experience. Not at all. No, I've had many people change their mind on the spot, and I'm sure more change their mind in the future. I know that to be true, too, but it's mm -hmm. good, good to hear you saying, well, how, how has, and I think you've already answered this a little bit, but how has pro-life apologetic training through Life Defenders changed your conversations about abortion? Well, at first, it was just very simple going through just the basic, it kills a human being, and that's why it's wrong. And then it has evolved to just the the nitty-gritty why everything, how it all falls into place and why it's wrong. And when you were first going out to do this, um, you know, for the first time on the streets through either social media or on the streets, what were some of the obstacles, or was there any particular obstacle that you had to sort of overcome in, in those initial conversations and starting those conversations? Well, I was just afraid to talk to people. Like, growing up, strangers were the scariest thing. <laughs> and um, for me, just going out and talking to people was scary to me. The more I do it, though, the more it becomes I can talk to them. They're not really scary. Right, and yeah. You know, that's great because another myth that we often hear propagated is that people are tired of talking about abortion. That they, they don't want to talk about it. In reality, it's been my experience, and it sounds like maybe yours as well, that people really do want to talk about it. But mm -hmm. they want to talk about it with people who are educated, people who are intelligent, and, sure. and people who are gracious. Mm -hmm. You know, people who are good listeners, who are good at finding common ground, and present the argument in a, in a way that's rational and, and compassionate. So, very good. All right. If you're just tuning in, I am Mike Spencer sitting in um, for Abigail Lorenzen. This is I Choose Life News and Views, and I'm talking with young and up-and-coming up leaders in the pro-life movement. My guests are Violet Hubbard, Claire Meyer, and Isaac Randall. Violet, I know that your parents and your church are passionately pro-life, and I'm sure that this has had a real impact on you. But when and how did their pro-life convictions become your pro-life convictions? Yeah, like you said, I grew up in a very pro-life environment, but I think it was more of a gradual thing. It started with just, oh yeah, when I was little, killing babies was definitely wrong, and that's kind of all there was to it. And then I heard, you know, sermons and stuff about it. And it came, became much more complex. I was like, I've never heard 
this argument before. What, what, what would I even say to that? So just like the various lessons and stuff that I was taught, and then definitely Life Defenders helped a lot. Yeah, really, we really do have good answers. The truth is on our side. And so some of the toughest objections that our opponents put to us, like, you know, what about rape where a, a young woman or even a young girl is raped and conceives a child against her will? You know, what would we do there? And those are the kinds of questions we're confronted with frequently by those on the other side. And the truth is, is we have really good answers, compelling answers to those. So that's great. So Violet, young, young women like you, as I'm sure you know, are a massive disappointment and an annoyance to the feminist movement that views abortion as a fundamental woman's right. So what would you say to your critics or other young women maybe who might view you as a traitor for being pro-life? I would say, what about all the babies, baby women who are being slaughtered daily? Like, who's going to stand up for them if we don't? So Really, we are the ones, you know, standing up for women's rights. And also the women who are going to have these abortions deserve to know what they're getting themselves into. So you're not intimidated by that question, (laughs) by that criticism. That's good. Uh, You're the youngest, by the way, of the three here in the studio. You're 15, right? Mm -hmm. And I know you're preparing to leave in just a few days for your first justice ride where you're going to put the things that we've taught you and that they have taught you into practice. Do you feel like you're ready for that? I have all the information I need. (laughs) (laughs) Any fears? Uh, I just have a hard time talking to strangers, but I'm sure, Mm -hmm. like Claire said, that it will get better as I continue. Yeah. And what excites you about this opportunity as you look forward to it? I'm really excited just to put everything that I've learned to work and kind of test myself to see uh, what my limits are. That's great. All right, Isaac, how would you respond to this question? You're a man. You have no right to speak to this issue. Oh, yes. We, we hear that a lot in today's culture, and I think it's actually a very dangerous mentality to approach social justice issues with. When we say something is simply wrong because of the gender of the person talking about it, or we attack the person instead of the argument, I, I think that's very dangerous for seeking the justice for the groups of people. Fantastic. You know, this really is not a women's rights issue, is it? It's a human rights issue. And nobody should be disqualified from speaking to the the defining moral issue of our day simply because of their sex. I think it was in 2010, there was a Newsweek article that got a lot of attention, particularly in the pro-life community. It was titled, Why Young Voters Are Lukewarm on Abortion Rights. And in this article, it lamented the fact that the pro-life movement particularly among young people, was growing by leaps and bounds, while the other side, the the so-called pro-choice side, was fading in passion and struggling to attract young, zealous women in particular to defend the unborn. In fact, there was Nancy Keenan, who was at that time, she was then the president of uh, Neral Pro-Choice America, and she referred to um, what she called an intensity gap, that there was this gap of passion uh, between pro-choice students and pro-life students, that the pro-life students, that you guys were the ones that were really impassioned about this and acknowledging the enormous number of young people in attendance at the March for Life in D.C. that year. Nancy Keenan said she had gotten off a bus when she arrived there and she saw, I think it was four or 500,000 people that year. And as you know, so many of them, high school, college age students. And she was quoted in that article as saying that when she got off the bus and saw, you know, was just greeted with this, you know, throng of pro-life students. She said, quote, I just thought to myself, my gosh, there are so many of them and they are so young. And this actually prompted her very shortly after that to retire, to resign from her position, um, which was good news for all of us. There is great zeal and great passion on our side, particularly among young people. But the abortion industry and her allies in the media, in Hollywood, on university campuses are working overtime to make it cool or hip 
to be pro-choice and to portray you three and your peers, your pro-life peers, as a menace to society. Uh, I know each of you are unintimidated by that, but how would you encourage other young people who believe that the pro-life position is the morally right position, but who may lack the courage to share their convictions or to take a public stand? How, how would any of you maybe respond to that? Well, the fact that they're trying to make it hip and cool, they have to make it look appealing because it's not actually. They don't have truth on their side. And we do have truth on our side, which means we can confidently go out and encourage other young people. Yeah, it can often be intimidating to talk about a subject you don't know a lot about. So I would encourage that person to go and research, come to Life Defenders, go on a justice ride. They provide the training for you, and they also give you the opportunities to go out there and speak for yourself. All right, let's turn a little bit of a corner here, and I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball at you guys. You didn't have opportunity to prepare for this, but since you're experts, I think you'll handle this well. Let's let our audience get just a little flavor for the kinds of things that we train you in. So I'm going to throw a couple of apologetic questions at you, challenges that those on the other side would actually present to us. And why don't you guys kind of interact with this and tell us how you might respond to it. Let's start with probably one of the most popular ones, and that is my body, my choice. We hear this. It's a slogan. We see it on bumper stickers a lot. My body, my choice. It sounds very American. You know, how would you respond to that? I would say that this baby, the embryology says that life begins at conception, and it's very clearly a different being than she is, especially if it has a different sex. You can't say that it's part of her body. That doesn't make any sense scientifically. So just because it relies on her doesn't really mean that that's a good excuse for killing it. Anybody want to add to that with some science maybe? Yeah, one thing that we can that we can help show the absurdity of this argument is um, there are a lot of key differences, including the potential of a different blood type, and they most definitely have a different DNA than the mother. They could have a different gender than the mother, maybe a, even a different race. Why why would we say that that is their body and that gives them the right to take a life? Yeah, you know it's interesting that we as Christians and as pro-lifers are often accused in culture of being anti, we're the anti-science people, you know, we're the flat earthers, you know, this kind of thing. But in reality, so much of our pro-life argument rests on or is rooted in the science of human embryology, which as you both have pointed out, makes it clear that the unborn child from the earliest stage of development, even as a single cell zygote, is a distinct living and whole human being. And um, so clearly this is not the woman's body. It's not even a part of the woman's body. It is a distinct living and whole human being. And when we say that it is her body, then we also have to know that there's a point when it becomes not her body. And when, when does that come about and what, what causes this magical change? Very good. Excellent point. All right. Well, um, we hear this a lot. We heard a lot about this leading up to the election. A lot of social media, you, you saw this on social media a lot. You pro-lifers aren't really pro-life. You're only pro-birth. Once the baby's born, you folks all flee, you disappear, you want to take away all welfare, you don't want to help these mothers or these babies after they're born. Anybody want to take the lead on that? How would, how would you respond to that challenge? There are so many businesses that will be willing to help you once your baby is born to care for it or to help you put it up for adoption. That's no reason to abort it just because you don't feel like you can care for it. Yeah, and the businesses that, that you're speaking of are really ministries that are led by pro-lifers. We've got um, nearly 3,000 pregnancy care centers in the United States that are providing all kinds of services and all kinds of things for young mothers and their babies at no cost to them. So that's a great point. Anybody want to add to that? Also, there are over a million people on the baby waiting list. So if, if you don't want that baby, 
say. There are people wanting to adopt it and that the number of abortions every day, there would be over a year's worth of people willing to take of abortions, willing to take your baby if you don't want it. And there would be families like mine who, if someone didn't want their baby, we would adopt it. I mean, my parents aren't waiting to adopt a baby, but we would be willing to. There are lots of families right. like that, I'm sure. Yes, that's right. All right. But let's suppose that we granted the premise to the other side that indeed we really don't care about babies after they're born. Let's just, for the sake of argument, we grant that premise. What does that accomplish? Nothing. It means just because even if we don't care about the babies after birth, which isn't true, even if we don't, that doesn't make it okay to kill an innocent human being. Yeah. If I don't care about babies after they're born, it doesn't justify you killing them before they're born. That's right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thanks for that. All right. What would you say to this? Uh, maybe Isaac, you can take this one. What about a, a young woman who's got three babies already, three children? Okay. And she's pregnant with number four. There's no husband or boyfriend in the picture. She's on her own. Um, and she really can't afford a fourth mouth to feed. What, what would you say to that? Mm -hmm. that? That's a great question. But as the same point goes for the previous question, just because she can't afford a child doesn't mean that she should abort it. We don't say something's wrong just because of the kind of situation you're in. Options that this mother could pursue are adoption. Adoption is one way that she would not have to bear financial responsibility for her child. But I would also encourage her to go to the church. I think the church can really open up its heart and the people there should be welcoming to her. Yeah, there are many churches that would gladly provide whatever they could to help in that case. That's for sure. You know, there's an assumption, though. There's an underlying assumption, isn't there, when somebody argues that, well, you know, this poor woman, and we would naturally and rightfully have sympathy for her in this situation. Um, but when the assumption from our pro-choice friends is that she should be allowed to kill the fourth child, the one in utero, that clearly suggests that they are seeing the baby in utero differently than they're seeing the baby out of the womb, aren't they? Well, why wouldn't she kill the two-year-old versus the one yeah. in utero? Or the 10-year-old the that's probably eating way more than that baby in utero. That's right. Spot on, Claire. Exactly right. And by doing that, by sort of pulling that, that point out or drawing that point out in our conversations, we can help people see that the unborn child should not be looked at differently than the child that's out of the womb, the 10-year-old in this case, as you said. The only way we can justify abortion then is if somehow we can show or they can demonstrate that the child in the womb is not a distinct living and whole human being mm -hmm. or to show that it's not a valuable person. And of course, that leads into the whole conversation about personhood and, and functionalism and so forth, which we don't have time to tackle today. But let's handle maybe one more challenge here. And this is, I think, probably the toughest one that we face, at least from an emotional standpoint as pro-lifers. And, and it comes up all the time. I'm sure you've all encountered it. And that is, what about rape? Uh, and, and so the, the challenge usually goes something like this. You know, what about a young girl or young woman or a young girl who's been raped and then finds out weeks later that she's actually conceived a child through this violent act? And of course, she's conceived this child against her own will. We're often pressed at that point as pro-lifers to say, would you at least grant a rape exception? So how would you respond to that? Well, first of all, rape is very a very small case of abortions even. But secondly, in the rape situation, there are three people involved. There is the rapist, the father, the mother, and the baby. We don't say the mother is at fault at all. And the father is, of course, at fault, and he should be punished for it. We should not punish the child, though, for it. The child should not be punished for the act of his father or her father or whatever. 
it is not the guilty one there, yet it is being killed for it. Yeah. Anybody want to add to that? There are a lot of people who will say, like, well, it'll just be a constant reminder reminder of that. It'll uh, cause her emotional trauma or whatever. But there's still the option of adoption. Like, if it really, if she really just can't even do it because it'll just, you know, make her so depressed or whatever, then I'm sure, like Claire said, that there are probably so many families who would take her child for her. You know, the violent act of rape doesn't justify the violent act of abortion, does it? Anybody else? Isaac, you want to say anything to that? Yeah, I, I think just as, as Claire said there, that we're, we're confusing innocent and guilty parties, and we certainly shouldn't, shouldn't condemn an innocent party to be punished for the guilty party's sin. Well, once again, we are, you know, on that note, Isaac, we are portrayed as the insensitive ones who won't grant a so-called rape exception, uh, who would oppose that. And of course, the reason, though, that we oppose that is because, again, we believe that the unborn child, regardless of how that child came into being, is a human being, a distinct living and whole human being, a valuable person who should be cherished and protected. And, um, you know, the question is not how was one conceived, but was one conceived? And clearly, in the case of rape, which is a horrific act, I'm married to a woman, I have four daughters, I have four granddaughters, and I cannot imagine one of my loved ones suffering in this way and then discovering later that on top of this abuse and on top of this horror, they found that they are pregnant against their will. It would be a horrible thing. But again, we shouldn't be giving the death penalty to innocent children for the crimes of their guilty fathers, the rapist in this case. And so I think that's a, an excellent point. And on top of that, a woman has just gone through a terrible trauma. And then to put a lot of women later regret their abortions. And just to add a lot of trauma to trauma even, they look back on that and say right. that was I made that in a season of that I was depressed and right. a crisis. Uh -huh. sure. And so they look back and say, I wish I hadn't done that. Yeah, I wish even though I was hurting a lot, that wasn't the, the thing I should have done. That's right, Claire. Well, I hope for those of you who are listening in today, moms and dads, uh, particularly of high school age, college age students, you'll see the value of life defenders as you hear the articulate responses from these three in the studio with me today. If you're a student listening in, uh, I'd like to say just a little bit about life defenders. We're a little early out still. It's not until July, but it is scheduled for Friday and Saturday, July 9th and 10th at the University of St. Francis here in Fort Wayne. Life Defenders is underwritten in part by the Mary Cross Tipman Foundation, making this an extremely affordable weekend for students at a registration cost of only $35, which includes everything. That's meals, housing, teaching materials, and even a t-shirt. It's just a great bargain. And it's not too early to register early. You can register at ichooselife.org. One other note, we are also making Life Defenders uh, workshops available as a condensed down one day, three hour turnkey kind of a, an event for both adult and or youth audiences. And we've partnered with Right to Life affiliates, churches, pregnancy care centers all over the place to offer these workshops throughout Indiana, as well as in Michigan, Ohio, Illinois, Kentucky, South Carolina, and several other states as well. If you're interested in hosting an event like this, uh, I would encourage you to contact Abby Lorenzen of Right to Life of Northeast Indiana. She can be reached at 260-471-1849. She would love to have a conversation with you about potentially hosting an event like this in your community. Well, I want to thank my guests, America's Hope for the Future, Claire Meyer, Violet Hubbard, and Isaac Randall for sharing with us today. God bless all of you, and thank you for listening to I Choose Life News and Views. 
If you have questions about this program or if you'd like to support the fight for life, please call 260-471-1849 or go to ichooselife.org because without the right to life, no other rights matter.